Hello there and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And today we're going to be starting a podcast on uh, worldview, and or we're going to do a podcast on worldview. And um, in the next podcast we're going to talk about um, a quick survey of Western thought. Um, and so this will provide a... Uh, and specifically talking about pre-modernity, modernity, and post-modernity. So this will provide a framework for that, because first we need to talk about what a worldview is, and then we can talk about the three basic types of worldviews that we deal with, which are pre-modern, modern, and post-modern. Of course, there's lots of other worldviews out there. Um, Buddhism doesn't really fit. Um, Hinduism doesn't really fit. Animism doesn't really fit, although we'll discuss these things. They kind of fit under post-modernity uh, to some extent. But there's lots of other worldviews out there, but these are the three that um, get discussed a lot and that are really important for us to look at today uh, and as we continue the apologetic class. So the word worldview uh, is um, from the German Waltenschung, I think. W-A-L-T-A-N-S-C-H-A-U-U-N-G. Uh, they like their long words over there in Germany. And um, it simply means how we look at the world. And um, this is what a lot of people would have thought of um, as just your philosophy. Um, in academic circles, uh, if you're writing a book, uh, for, example, for example, a systematic theology about what you believe on every subject of Christian theology, you would start that book with a prolegomena, and that's the things you need to say before you can say anything, what, what you believe about truth, what you believe about the world, what you believe about philosophy, and then you can jump into, you know, kind of laying your foundation and then jump into what you believe about God. Um, <clears throat> but whether you're an academic or not, whether you've thought about it or not, whether you know the big words or not, everybody's got a worldview. Everybody has a way of looking at the world. Um, and it comes from how we were raised, um, the stories and songs that our parents sang to us when we were children, the schools we went to, the culture we grew up in, the, the jokes and the things we were raised to find are funny, uh, the entertainment that we experienced, uh, our negative experiences, our traumas, as well as our... Um, our good experiences, our ecstasies, our joys, our pleasures, um, all roll into um, how we see the world. Um, and this is something that most of us recognize today. Um, as I mentioned, 1858 is when this word was uh, coined, and um, it is kind of a, a recent concept. Um, because people are becoming more and more aware that people around the world or sometimes across the street with immigration uh, or with with different religious worldviews and other types of worldviews around, um, other people see the world very differently than, than how we might see the world. Um, I mean, outside, as I'm recording this, I see um, a dead tree. And um, as a modern scientific person, I could look at that and I'm thinking of the molecules and I'm thinking of the fact that it's dead because it probably didn't get enough water. Um, I, somebody else from another part of the world might look at that tree and think of it as, um, as a, 
in a, in a spiritual significance of there's a spiritual being that lives in that tree or that used to live in that tree or it's part of the larger spiritual system here. Um, another way that this comes up a lot is um, is things that spook us that are that are weird that are that are scary. Um, one missionary was telling me, you know, we often have the experience of you think you see something out of the corner of your eye, you turn your head and nothing's there. Uh, in our in our culture, we look at that very scientifically and say, you know, our 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 bodies or our minds were playing a trick on us. Uh, in other cultures, they would say, you saw something that was, you know, you saw a demon or you saw not a demon, of course. Uh, they would, you know, say a spirit or or a god or or something like that. Um, the sensory perception is the same, but how we interpret what we're seeing is different. And we can chart that uh, like this. So if we, I, I know you can't see what I see, um, but I'm going to pretend that we're drawing on a whiteboard here in your mind. Um, so if you can just imagine a square, and this square is the world or part of the world. Um, and then you just draw a stick man over to the left of that. And in between the two, coming from the stick man's eyes, is um, he's observing the world. So he's looking at this box. Maybe it's a book. And as he's looking at this book, um, this is his sensory perception. So as scientific people, we know that light is bouncing off of the book, refracting uh, and, and bouncing off the book, hitting the um, optic nerve, the those little rod things in his eyes and that's going into the optic nerve going into his brain and and he's experiencing the this book and so we can draw a little thought cloud above this little stick man and he's seeing the book so we have two books now there's one that's on the table and there's one that's in this thought cloud above the person the first thing I need you to understand is that these two are not identical um, the book that's in the person's mind and the book that's on the table are not the identical exact same thing, obviously. This person doesn't literally have a book in his head or else he would be dead. Um, and I didn't mean to rhyme, it's just I'm a poet and don't know it or whatever. Um, so, the, this he's got a mental picture of... A book. He he thinks he knows what it is, and he's he's as he's looking at it <clears throat> through his senses, he's imagining it or he's he's experiencing it in his brain. <clears throat> of course, um, the only access that we that our brain has to the outside world is through our sixth sense or our six, our five senses. Sorry, our five senses: um, hearing, sight, sound, taste, and touch. And through those, we can also get second-hand information. Somebody else can tell us about something that they saw. But basically, we have our five senses through which the outside world is translated to our brain. But it's more complicated than that because our brain is getting signals, electrical impulses all the time that's giving us it all this information. And the brain needs to make sense of all this. Um, there was a recent study done uh, on people that use LSD. And they said it was fascinating to see how the brain um, disconnects and, and reconnects and they said it was like they were feeling with their whole mind like they were experiencing with their whole mind um, very rich and, and beautiful experiences that they were having on these drugs but also extremely confusing and disjointed 
um, great for art, perhaps, or um, some some great songs and, and art has been done on LSD, but not the best for building a house, for example, or do, solving a complex math problem, because um, th- there isn't, it doesn't make sense. What you're seeing is is disjointed. And what the researchers said is that this is actually similar to how an infant experiences the world. And I've heard this uh, from other sources as well, but this is a scholar's source. I should probably look this up if I'm going to throw it into my class. Make a note of that. That um, as far as we know, the experience of infants is just sensory perception. And I've got a little infant three or three month old strapped to me right now as I'm speaking of this and it's fascinating to just see how he looks up at the world and he's very interested in, in engaging with the world but you can tell he doesn't really know what's going on um, and by the time we become adults hopefully we know what's going on uh, so that when we see a book on the table it's not just you know random colors we understand the three dimensions we've somehow figured out that is a spatial dimension. We can get there by walking to it. We can pick it up. You know, we got the basics down. But then more than that, we know what a book is. Um, and we can guess what might be in it. We can figure out how that might relate to us. So when we see a book, we don't have just have disjointed um, uh, sensory perception. We have a thought bubble above our head to say what this book actually is. But on the way to... Um, creating the ability to know what this book is, we've been through a worldview formation process that has been part of our culture. And so these little dots on the way, often, um, you know, in a cartoon, you'll have a thought bubble kind of looking like a cloud with something inside it, maybe the words that the person is thinking. On the way up to the thought bubble, there's often little circles just to indicate which person is thinking. And, And a speech bubble often has a little pointy part on it, if you know what I mean. Um, But what I'm going to do is, for each one of these little circles, I'm going to pretend that this is part of the worldview formation process. What is it that forms our worldview? Well, it's things like, um, well, things that I've already gone over, actually. Um, Things like religion, things like our experience, things like our education, things like our experiences, uh, our relationships, uh, for bad or for good. Um, So all these things stepping up to his thought bubble, these are all influencing how he's thinking about this book. So somebody, um, you know, a very mature, smart, um, not educated, that's the point of this illustration, but a very smart um, person in Papua New Guinea, for example, that has never experienced uh, Western culture, there's still a few tribes like that, um, that saw a book on a table might think that it's simply a piece of wood or um, that it is uh, an as-yet-unknown uh, type of plant. Um, they'll have, they'll look at that, they'll have the same sensory perception, but on the way up to the thought bubble, there's different experiences, there's, different, uh, there's a different conceptual framework for what they're seeing, and they're going to, quote-unquote, see something very different. They're going to visualize maybe a plant, maybe a... Um, a piece of wood, maybe a rock. And then what this means, the, the significance of it, is going to be very different. A book for me is very exciting. What's in it? How can this help my career? How can this help me grow as a person? 
uh, a book to somebody that has never seen a book before, that doesn't know what it is, might not be very important to them. They might just think this is, you know, just like a rock, or this is something that I might be able to use to start a fire. Um, so just to summarize what we've gone over so far, um, in our search for um, making sense of the world around us, we all develop some sort of a worldview. And world reformation is almost always unconscious, and it's part of a childhood education. Um, it's part of our growing up process, our quote-unquote coming-of-age process. And oftentimes we, especially in our culture, are pushed to reevaluate that um, as we go into college and, and seminary and university, um, becoming young adults and moving on into adulthood. Um, what we're eventually going to see is that um, most of the conflicts that we perceive um, as we as we try and share the gospel, as we try and uh, share our faith, many of the conflicts that we think are faith-based, that are spiritual warfare, that are people close to the gospel, are really worldview issues. Uh, we feel like people are rejecting us because they are rejecting the gospel, when really they're rejecting us because they don't understand what we're talking about. Um, what we're saying is gobbledygook to them, or else what we're saying to them is processed through their mental filter as um, we're saying things that they find very offensive without really understanding the content of what we're saying. And so we need to be aware of that, and we need to, um, we need to speak to culture, and that's the, that's the job of apologetics, is to figure out what people's worldview are, or what their worldview is, so that we can speak to them the truth of the gospel. Um, and the next section, as I already mentioned, we're going to be looking at pre-modern, modern, and post-modern. Um, we're going to look at how um, worldviews can either handicap or empower a person or a society. And you all know people that um, have a very messed up way of looking at the world. A messed up way of looking at themselves, perhaps. A messed up way of looking at the opposite gender, or of their own gender, or of a certain race, or of politics, or of money, or of, um, you know, you name it. Uh, if people look at the world and everything they, they experience, um, they have a messed up filter. Their, their worldview is broken, or it's sick in some way. Worldviews can be sick. Um, you know, just just practical example. You know people, you try and give them a compliment, and they take it as an insult, or they assume you're being fake. Uh, they cannot receive good from anybody due to things in their past that have hurt them, and their worldview is warped. And that's going to affect them in life. Uh, that's going to be detrimental to their emotional health. In the same way, a worldview, the way that a society, because we have collective ways of looking at the world, the way that a society looks at things can be sick, and it can either empower people, it can either empower a society, or it can be detrimental to the society. And that's where we're going to be going in the next podcast, looking at if it's possible and in what way it's possible to say that um, worldviews can be better or worse. Before we go there, let's just close our time in prayer. Lord, I thank you that uh, you are truth, that you speak to us, and um, I pray, Lord, that you would 
Help us love you with all our heart, soul, and with all our mind as we continue in this podcast series. In Jesus' name, amen.